Welcome to the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Adrian Guess, along with my co-host, Devin Dito. We're back at it to bring you breaking news, great commentary, and a little bit of humor mixed in it. It's weekly roundup number eight, March 12th. We got plenty of news listeners, so we're going to get right into it with our first segment. We want to go to New York City here, where the newly elected mayor, Eric Adams, is wanting to revive tourism in the city. He wants visitors to be able to visit the Statue of Liberty, stroll through Times Square, enjoy delicious soul food in Harlem, and buy some weed. The newly elected mayor is trying to bring the city back to life with a new economic plan that he is calling New New York. Adams wants to give small businesses a boost, concentrating on industries including medical technology, video games, and legal marijuana. The mayor's office anticipates that the city's recreational marijuana industry will generate $1.3 billion in sales and nearly 25,000 jobs. He wants to ensure that the first licenses to sell go to people who have prior marijuana convictions. Adams' plans also includes legal assistance and help to apply for licenses and finances to get those businesses off the ground. So it's a really great plan there, uh, Devin. I'm glad to see that the new mayor is trying to do that, especially with uh, the marijuana industry. Um, we've talked on our podcast about how our people have been hurt by it and how our people should be the people that get to benefit first and the most from, you know, legal marijuana. So uh, glad to see Mayor Adams is going to lead by example with that. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's it's great to see that intersection there between the legal marijuana industry and, you know, tourism, but also thinking about it from a business aspect of investing in this industry because it's going to grow. I mean, the legal uh, marijuana industry is is already huge, but it's just going to get bigger as more uh, investors and companies and, and things come in and shout out to them for focusing on trying to make sure that those first licenses go to people who have prior marijuana convictions. That should be something when you talk about like restitution and clearing people's records um, and, and helping those who have, like you say, been hurt because of dumb laws like banning marijuana, definitely like to see that they're putting those people at the top of the list as far as those who can, can, you know, benefit from this program. So like what Mayor, Mayor Adams is doing so far um, in New York City. Well, we're going to move on from there. We're going to go to iHeart. Uh, I think it's iHeart Media. Excuse me. I was going to say iHeart Radio. Might be the same thing. Uh, the largest, which is the largest media company in the nation. They are in hot water after Aaron Trimmer, who's the program director at KFYI 550 AM News Talk, which is a commercial radio station owned by iHeartMedia and licensed to serve the greater Phoenix area. So he blatantly refused to run ads on air promoting a local Black-owned business initiative about the importance of diversity and inclusion. And so in an email from Trimmer himself regarding an on-air endorsement during Black History Month, he stated that the radio station is, quote, in opposition to the need for corporate diversity programs, end quote, and that it would be, quote, disingenuous for KFYI talent to conduct an endorsement slash interview spot to promote such programs. So they didn't run the ad. <laughs> so now iHeartMedia <laughs> is getting tons of backlash, as which they should, and getting called out here for racism. Um, and so, yeah, Adrian, I think it's, 
pretty ridiculous. I mean, it's just a program or an initiative that's talking about the importance of diversity and inclusion. See, this is where we are. This is what happens when you have what happened in the Trump administration and you go after things under the guise of critical race theory. And now you just get simple corporate diversity programs that are now being you know, shunned because people see them as being somehow disingenuous or, you know, doing harm to the racial uh, relationship here in the country. You know, um, <clears throat> Aaron Trimmer, he should move to Florida. Uh, he would probably be like, you know, he'd find like a nice place <laughs> in Florida. I've, you know, they're, they're all about these kind of laws and different things like that. But, you know, it, it definitely is, you know, crazy to think that, somebody would be so anti-diversity inclusion to say that it would be disingenuous uh, to have a spot, you know, uh, on the program, you know, to endorse something like this. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad that they are getting some heat for this. I hope that Mr. Trimmer can be replaced, uh, find a different profession. He definitely does not need to be on the airways. Um, but, to move on to another story here, the American Psychology Association reports that people who live in areas with high racism suffer from more heart disease, mental health problems, and increased mortality rates. The research included 14 various studies, which gathered data from Google, Twitter, and other sources. The studies in the review examined numerous sources to measure community-level racial prejudice and included tens of millions of data points from large-scale surveys, social media, and internet searches. One of the theories of how community racial prejudice, uh, prejudice may harm one's health is that at an individual level, living in a community with more prejudice could increase the number of prejudice interactions a person experienced causing harmful stress. So, you know, Devin, that seems like it makes sense. You know, it's one of those things where obviously – yeah, uh, if you're living where you have to endure more uh, discrimination, more prejudice, uh, more you know mental fatigue. You know, we talked about that black fatigue and what that really does to uh, our people, and obviously that's going to affect you. You know, in, in a lot of different ways. If your mental health is not doing very well, that can have a toll on your physical health. And it's interesting to see that, you know, it's also links to heart disease and increased mortality rates. So um, we've talked, you know, listeners about how racism has a monetary value. I think we talked about it being about 16 trillion. And now we're looking at how it has a health, uh, uh, you know, value on it as well, where it's, you know, essentially killing us. Um, so really an interesting study here, Devin. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's... Uh kind of what we thought was happening. And I'm glad you referenced the black fatigue episode because that was one of my favorites too. And just, you know, thinking about what racism does to you mentally and to your mental health and how that translates in, you know, to affecting your physical health, you know, it's, it's all linked. So like we say, you know, like you just said, racism does have a, a dollar toll on the economy, but also it has a toll on just us as people. Um, and when it comes to your your physical health, and so um, it's it's interesting though that we you know we have proof of it now, and it's good to see that. So hopefully, going forward, I, we always say this: we could try to hopefully improve the situation. Well, that's all we can kind of hope for. We know that's a lot of work that needs to be done, 
but at least we can point back and say that, you know, the racism and discrimination that existed and still exists in a lot of places, in some places, has a toll. There's a a price to pay for that, for the people who are experiencing that. So it's not just something, once you stop it, the effects go away. The effects linger, both mentally, physically, financially. It is not like a, you know, victimless crime, basically. I think that's what a lot of people like to think is like once you you change your mind and just say, I'm not going to be racist today from here on, that all of a sudden all the things you did in the past are not going to affect those people who experienced it anymore. And that's just not true. And so we have to get out of that mindset and um, you know understand it. It does have a real effect. So we're going to move from there to our next story here about President President Biden and the Biden administration and what they're doing on their promise to make sure that there is better representation in the federal government. And then more importantly, when you're talking about U.S. attorneys. And so the USA Today is pointing out that the ranks of federal prosecutors have gotten more diverse under the Biden administration. So right now, 48 percent of the 43 U.S. attorneys nominated by Biden are black, the reporting says. And this is compared with the Trump administration, which had White men is 85% of federal prosecutorial nominees. And so this means more minority representation in federal cases such as terrorism, public corruption, and major drug trafficking. It is also important because it is tenure. It is tenure for the minority prosecutors. They are nominated and confirmed in in the U.S. Senate, just like federal judges. And if they make it through, they serve at the pleasure of the sitting president. So, Biden, again, you know, people have given Biden a hard time. It's been a a rough first year, but there are some things he is checking off the box and following through with what he said. Part of that was he said he would nominate the first black uh, female onto the Supreme Court. He did that. And now you see he they promised to make sure that the government was representative, at least when it comes to U.S. attorneys. They are checking that box. And so that's a big swing, too. You go 48 percent of them are nominated by Biden or black from 85% by Trump, which isn't surprising, but it just goes to show you we're now seeing more, more representation, which is a great thing to see. Yeah, it is. And whenever I saw this story, I wanted to make sure to highlight it because I think that, you know, president Biden has gotten a little bit of heat uh, lately because, <laughs> because some of the reports about, you know, different things like the jobs numbers and, you know, different things, uh, you know, about, you know, how, uh, our people are not progressing as quickly as everybody else in his, you know, build back better plan or whatever. But, uh, this is something that we can say, you know, good job, President Biden, uh, given more representation. Uh, on these, uh, federal courts. Um, I don't know how, you know, the representation carries over towards a lot of these federal judges. I know he's been appointing a lot of federal judges. Hopefully a lot of them are people of color as well, but, uh, at least we've got some, um, federal prosecutors that will be able to do the work there. So, uh, we'll take you to another story, uh, within the Biden administration as well. The national security team at the White House and the U.S. Department of State are actively working their diplomatic channels on the case of WNBA star Brittany Griner. 
the 31-year-old Houston, Texas native is currently being held in Russia, where she has reportedly been charged for having possession of cannabis oil. Griner has been working in Russia for nearly a decade and is currently working off-season as a member of a local basketball team in the European country. American athletes tend to work in other countries during off-season because opportunities are limited here in the United States. Jen Paskey, uh, President Biden's spokesperson, would not confirm if Griner is now being used as a political bargaining chip for Russian President Biden Putin, clarifying, quote, we typically do not get into into specifics because that is not constructive to bringing people home. However, uh, Paskey did say our objective is always to bring American citizens home who are detained in foreign countries. So that still remains our focus. So uh, interesting story here developing, Devin. Um, you know, sad for her to you know be detained just for some cannabis oil. You know, I definitely feel like it is something more like a uh, political bargaining chip um, because of all the things that Russia is suffering and going through right now, because that just seems like a, 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 a low charge to, you know, to detain somebody and hold them over. Uh, but maybe, you know, Russia is just very heavy uh, anti-cannabis. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. You know, they are, but I think the question of is she being used as a political bargaining chip answers itself. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we are in the middle of a war between Russia and Ukraine. And we're also in between, you know, in a war between the United States and the you know, European union versus Russia, which is an economic war. So of course they are going to definitely use her um, as a political bargaining chip because Russia while invading Ukraine their their economy is going in the tank and they need some sort of leverage to get whatever, you know, to get it, to get something. So um, I hope she comes home safely, but unfortunately this could not have come at a worse time. Like we're, you know, with this happening in Ukraine there, I just, I'm not a legal expert obviously on this thing, but I just don't see how she comes home any, you know, comes home quickly because of the situation in Ukraine and the relations between the United States and Russia are, as bad as they have ever been with us now, you know, banning oil, it's just a mess. So it's it's horrible, horrible timing um, to see this happen. And she's going to be used as a political bargaining chip. But unfortunately, she she's may have to, you know, buckle down and hopefully she can get out of there safely. But man, what a terrible story and just awful time. I really do feel bad for her. And hopefully they can work it out. Maybe there is something... Um, the Biden administration can do, but man, just horrible, horrible timing. But we'll move on from there. Of course, we'll update you if Brittany Griner is released and brought home. Um, so we'll definitely keep you updated. But we want to wrap up this segment with some good news. Uh, so there's an entrepreneur who uh, entrepreneur who has launched the first ever Black-owned social media networking app in the metaverse. And so Matthew Newman is the founder and CEO of Truso, which is an audiovisual social media networking app for the Black community worldwide. And so it offers a social environment that is as close to face-to-face as one can get, which psychologists say provides a great way to feel more emotionally connected to other people and creates meaningful interactions. And so In its first month, the app quickly raised more than $30,000 from individual shareholders 
who wanted in. And keeping pace with technology, Matthew announced in early 2022 that Trousseau will launch both in 2D as well as 3D in the metaverse. And so that's kind of exciting, Adrian. I've, you know, I've never been in the metaverse. I hear this term all the time, so I don't don't know what this is, but um, it sounds, you know, pretty cool. I mean, they say it's as close to face-to-face as you can get. <laughs> yeah, from from what I gather about the metaverse, it's supposed it's supposed to be a more immersive, um, interactive way to um, kind of surf the internet and kind of do things. Um, I don't I don't think we've gotten there yet as far as it being like a full on launch thing and we're using it up and uh, you know, but uh, I know that we're working there towards that so that's why everybody's trying to do these 3d things to make it more interactive like that so uh listeners what we're gonna do uh we'll make sure to keep you updated so that way when the metaverse is in full swing you'll be able to fully engage and get plugged in might be something like the matrix i don't know but we'll see uh but anyway let's give you your first break and when we come back we're gonna get into our second segment we still got more news to cover so stick with us we'll be right back You have been listening to the Black Agenda Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a few dollars while you're at it. After all, the Black Agenda Podcast is supported by listeners like you. Now let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into some more news here in our second segment. So we're going to come back. From the metaverse, uh, we talked a little bit about that before the break. We're going to come back stateside and go up to Congress, where they the Senate has now unanimously passed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022. So after more than 120 years since the first lynching bill was introduced in Congress, the terroristic act will now finally be regarded as a federal hate crime. And on March 7th, the U.S. Senate voted to approve the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022. The bill is expected to be signed by President Joe Biden later this week. It's already actually been signed as we speak. And so according to the NAACP, there were over 4,700 lynchings recorded between 1882 and 1968, although some historians believe that number is higher. And so this new legislation makes it possible to prosecute a crime as a lynching when a conspiracy to commit a hate crime results in death or serious bodily injury. And so the maximum sentence for those found guilty of breaking it is a 30 years in federal prison. So 120 years later, Adrian, and we are just now finally passing the anti-lynching act of 2022 you know, I guess it's, you know, better late than never, but there, although it did pass the Senate unanimously, there were three people in the House who did not vote for it. So I guess we still have some work to do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you would think that that's like a low-hanging fruit and it'd be easy to have, like, you know, a <laughs> unanimous decision on something like this because it's, you know, it's clear, you know, clear-cut throat dry. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy, but, you know, I guess depending on who you are, maybe it's not that maybe it's not that clear. But um, speaking of not being clear, I guess you know Jesse Smollett. You know, you know he, he wasn't very clear. I guess on in his intentions and what he was trying to do because 
Uh, he should have just, you know, not, you know, did all the stuff that he did because now he's looking at some probation, some jail time, fines, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I just wonder that, you know, whenever he made, you know, all of these allegations, he, you know, considered the fact that, you know, it could be disproven and he would be, you know, sitting through all of this stuff that he's going through right now. Uh, because, you know, the former Empire star uh, was sentenced Thursday to 30 months of felony probation, including 150 days in jail and ordered to pay restitution of more than 120000 and a $25,000 fine for making false reports to police that he was the victim of a hate crime in 2019. After the judge announced his sentence, Smollett lowered his face mask and said he was innocent. Quote, Your Honor, I respect you and I respect the jury, but I did not do this, the actor told the judge before <laughs> before turning to the court, also saying, and I am not suicidal, and if anything happens to me when I go in there, I did not do it to myself, and you must all know that. <laughs> Just before he was taken into custody, the actor yelled again that he was innocent and raised a fist in the air. I guess a little black power there, you know. Um, <laughs> very interesting uh, case, like I said. You know, I just, I don't know what's going through his head. He's still maintaining his innocence, even though he's been proven guilty. And I think the general public knows what's up. So I guess he's just behind the curveball. Yeah, I mean, it still continues to be the most bizarre thing <laughs> you know I've ever seen. I mean, just to continue on saying I did not do this in the face of all this evidence, and now you're going to, you know, had you just maybe admitted that, okay, yes, I lied, it didn't happen, you probably wouldn't even be going to jail right now. <laughs> but they want to prove a point. They want to make him an example because of, him being an actor, well-known, and then he stuck to this whole innocence thing. I just, ugh, what a ridiculous case. I don't feel bad for him. There are some people who are saying, you know, there are other people who falsely accuse things, you know, falsely report things all the time. And I'm like, that's true. But Jesse got like the entire country coming out, you know, get, you know, coming out for him saying he was a victim. And I mean, it was just ridiculous. So serve your 150 days and, and just move on. Uh, but we'll, <laughs> we'll move on from Jesse to an article here about uh, gas prices. And Adrian, I thought this was interesting because gas prices are, as you know, already high. And now we're banning Russian oil. So that's probably going to go even higher. And so this week, Democratic strategist Donna Brazil wrote an opinion piece in the Grio. And she was arguing that the price at the gas pump is an American sacrifice worth making for Ukraine. And so she's saying, uh, and I'll just read some, some snippets of what she put in here. She was saying that, uh, you know, President Joe Biden's decision to impose crippling economic sanctions on Russia, including banning their oil, uh, was a necessary action taken despite the political risk it, risk it carries. She's saying that Biden understands that this action will have the unfortunate effect of driving up gas and gas and diesel prices, which is going to hit Americans hard in their wallets. But she did run on 
then went on to say that Ukrainians are running out of food. Power has been cut in many places and more than two, pe- two million people have fled the country. And she said the suffering of Ukrainians is far greater than what people in our country will experience paying more to fill up our gas tanks. And so just to give an idea of how the country is, is supposedly feeling about this, uh, according to a, a Quinnipiac poll published on Monday, it found that 71% of Americans support a ban on Russian oil imports, even if it results in higher gasoline prices. So I wanted to bring this up, Adrian, because we all feel gas prices. You know, no matter who you are, you you feel higher gas prices. We already have inflation, so things are already more expensive than they were a year ago. And so I don't know. I think it's an interesting take. I heard Joe Manchin say, I don't mind paying an extra 10 cents in gas, you know, to help out Ukraine. <laughs> and in my mind, I was like, it's going to be a lot more than 10 cents. But I get I get what he was saying. So I don't know. Where, where do you fall on this American sacrifice, higher gas prices, you know, to help Ukraine? Is this some sort of, you know, worthy, noble cause that we're taking on here in the country? Where do you fall on that? You know, I guess it it depends on <laughs> on how you look at it. Because you know, to some people, you know, yeah, Joe Manchin says, you know, I don't mind paying an extra ten cents, but to somebody like him, that you know, gas prices probably don't really matter as much. Uh, it's going to really affect you know lower income Americans and people who are you know really trying to just you know make ends meet. So. Worthy sacrifice, not worthy sacrifice. I, I'm not sure how to, how to uh, how to necessarily <laughs> phrase it because uh, I mean th- I guess that's to be determined depending on how long this conflict goes on and what we lose or we gain out of this conflict as well. That might you know dictate you know whether it's worthy or not. But I get what they're talking about. You know, I get that, you know, paying $4.20 or $5, you know, a gallon for gas is, is microscopic uh, in in the lens of losing your life, you know, because of a Russian invasion. So I get the I get where she's going with it. Uh, and I hope that people can see that. Um I, I don't know. It's it's a year of midterms, and I know most people are going to see uh, rising gas prices, and they're not going to think, you know, well, well, this happened because we were protesting Russia. Uh, nobody's really going to think back to that aspect. They're just going to think, oh, well, I'm having to pay more for my gas. Um, so I hope you know, the Democrats can have good messaging because this is one of those <laughs> one of those moments where good <laughs> messaging comes into play, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't disagree with what she's saying, but I think, like you say, the timing is going to dictate how this works out. If, you know, in the next two to three weeks, we see this Russian conflict come to an end, and Russia, you know, doesn't end up taking over Ukraine and goes back home and gas starts to come back down by the summer, I think you'll see President Biden get a boon. I think you'll see people say, okay, that was the right decision. We went through some temporary struggles and had to pay some higher gas prices. But we sent the message to Russia and Vladimir Putin 
that you're going to pay for what you did in Ukraine. But however, you know, if Putin is successful in taking over Ukraine and taking out Zelensky or this thing drags on for like a month, two months, three months, and not only does gas continue to go up, but you're talking about food prices, too, because of wheat. Russia and Ukraine are some of the biggest wheat producers in the world. So you, there's other things in in play as well. If it drags on to the summer, as we get close to midterms, I think they're going to pay a costly price. You know, I think people will say, OK, it was cool for a couple months with the four dollars, almost five dollars gas. But now it's like, all right, this is really this is becoming a little too much. And I think people will start to revert. So I think right now it sounds good. He's got the support of the country. I think there was another poll that came out that, you know, most people do think Biden is doing the, the making the right moves when it comes to the Ukraine conflict. So at this very, at this moment, he seems to have the country on his side. And I will say he has done, at least in my opinion, the right moves, but I'm not psyched about higher gas prices, but, you know, <laughs> if it ends the war quicker and it's successful, then yes. But if it doesn't and this drags on, it's, you know, it's just kind of like, well, what else can we do kind of thing? So, but just, you know, listeners, we want to have an interesting conversation about gas prices because, you know, they are extremely high already <laughs> and they're not going to get any lower. Nope, they are not. And everybody is probably looking to see how this thing is going to end. Uh, I think before um, these the, the gas prices started going up, everybody was thinking, you know, Russia invading Ukraine. Uh, why are we talking about that? That's, you know, overseas. That's not going to mm-hmm. have any effect on us. But <laughs> we are seeing today that this does have an effect on us uh, because, you know, we are a global economy. So um, things that happen in other countries do have an effect. So uh, we're going to come back home, though, and talk a little bit about uh, um, Houston Texans here Um we got a uh, grand jury on Friday declined to indict Houston Texan quarterback Deshaun Watson following a police investigation sparked by lawsuits filed by 22 women who have accused him of harassment and sexual assault. Prosecutors from the district attorney's office in Harris County, Texas, presented evidence and testimony to the 12 person grand jury for over six hours on Friday related to nine of the 10 criminal complaints filed against Watson. The grand jury, which does not require unanimous vote, rejected all nine cases. Prosecutors did not present the tenth. However, Watson still faces several civil suits from his accusers. So, uh, seems like a Bill Cosby kind of situation there, Devin. But um, you know, nobody's above the law. I guess is what you can say out of that. No, nobody is. And he's still, like I say, he's, he's, like you said, he still has to work through those civil suits, which, of course, we know the barrier, the burden of proof is a lot lower. It's kind of like the OJ case. He got off in a criminal trial, but he did get, you know, they were successful in, in suing him in civil court. So uh, it's not over yet, but at least as of right now, he won't face any criminal complaints or criminal he's charges. He's to pay anyway. some money, probably. He's... Probably where we're headed to, <laughs> but you know, it remains to be seen. He so far he has been holding out; he hasn't settled. So, uh, but we'll move on from there. And just to quickly 
Uh, get to another story you probably heard about where Black Panther director Ryan Coogler was briefly detained by police in Atlanta in January after he was mistaken for a bank robber at a Bank of America. And so he was handcuffed and detained after he went to the Bank of America to make a transaction. And the 35-year-old director was wearing a, a hat, sunglasses, and a COVID face mask. He went to the counter, handed the bank teller a withdrawal slip with a note written on the back that reportedly read, I would like to withdraw $12,000 cash from my checking account. Please do do the money count somewhere else. I'd like to be discreet. End quote. And so the teller, however, misinterpreted the situation as an attempted robbery when the amount of the transaction exceeded $10,000 and triggered an alert notification from Kugler's bank account. The teller told her boss that she suspected it, it was a robbery attempt and they together called Atlanta police who then came and detained and handcuffed Kugler. He was released without incident once they figured out that he was indeed the man who was trying to withdraw the money from his own bank account. He had his ID, he had his debit card, uh, and he went on uh, speaking to Variety. He said the situation should have never happened. And he said Bank of America worked with him and addressed it to his satisfaction and that they have moved on. But yeah, Adrian, I mean, it's just, you know, I don't know what more he could have done. You know, it's like he gave the note. He had his debit card. He had his ID. He just wrote the note to say, take this money out of my account, but do it somewhere else. Be discreet with it for whatever, you know, he has his reasons. And (laughs) I don't know. I mean, it's just, I don't imagine a white person going in and doing that and getting the police called on them. No, probably not. I mean, it was, and honestly, I think the uh, bank teller, I think was black even. I I think it, like, I can't remember. I don't know if it was a black Mm -hmm. or white bank teller, but maybe, maybe I'm thinking of a different story. Um, But, you know, it's just, it shouldn't have happened, of course, um, just because, like you said, he presented all the needed stuff. It wasn't like he had any sort of weapon or said, you know, uh, don't make any sudden moves or anything. It's just like, I just, I'm just coming to get my money, but I'd like to do it in a discreet fashion because I'm pulling out a large amount and I don't want to attract any attention to you or mm-hmm. to myself, you know. Simple I don't request. know what more he could have done. <laughs> <laughs> nothing, nothing else. It's bad on that bank, uh, bad on Bank of America. But you know, to end our segment here with some good news. Here, you've heard this name before, listeners. Marcus Bullock, um, because he was on our podcast. Uh, the Grio wrote an article about him. Uh, formerly incarcerated man Marcus Bullock created an app which allows people to send messages and photos to the incarcerated for 96 cents each. These notes are printed as picture postcards and mailed to more than 2,000 prisons across the nation. According to a feature report from 7 News, Bullock found himself incarcerated after committing a carjacking at the age of 15. Quote, it wasn't until two years until not getting Excuse me, it wasn't until two years into me not only getting arrested and then getting sentenced to eight years in adult maximum security prison as a 15-year-old kid when things started to shift for me, he said. 
Bullock credited his mother, Reverend Sylvia Bullock, with helping him keep his hopes up amid dire uh, conditions. So, uh, like I said, we've talked about, you know, Marcus Bullock's life, you know, I think it was season three, maybe where he was on our podcast. But um, so, yeah, listeners, we just kind of wanted to talk about that. We saw him in the media recently, so we wanted to kind of give him a little shout out. Hopefully he gives us a shout out, too. But um, we are at the end of our news, listeners, but we still got some other stuff to do. We got to be funny, give you some funny news, some quick hits, as we like to call it. So make sure you stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, become a monthly patron. Go to blackagendapod.com and click the donate tab or click donate under the timestamps as you're listening to the podcast. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So let's get into our quick hits here. So first up, we're going to go to Austin, Texas, where uh, some moviegoers got a little bit more than what they had bargained for when they went to go see the movie Batman. So uh, moviegoers in Austin, Texas got to see, well, the, the article opened up the way I opened it. They got to see more than one type of bat during a screening of the Batman this weekend. So an actual bat was spotted swooping around inside the theater putting the movie on pause while management called animal control and tried unsuccessfully to get the critter out. And so this is according to KXAN. And so guests were offered their money back, but most of them chose to stick it out and just watch the film bat and all according to one moviegoer. And so this was the movie house and eatery by Sinapolis says the bat was likely released into the theater as a prank and the theater's general manager Heidi Dino says they will be adding additional security and checking all bags upon guest entry. So <laughs> somebody playing a joke, I guess, <laughs> you know, but they interrupted the movie. But nevertheless, it still went on. And it looks like most people kind of stayed and, and enjoyed the bat plus the Batman, the movie. So there you go. <laughs> I like how they said they were going to start checking bags. So I guess they assumed that somebody brought this bat in and in a bag and, and just and released it <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which hey, I, there you go <laughs> i'm not surprised i mean think about it now people are trying to get tiktok famous or whatever it, you know folks are just batman so it's just and like, it's the bat you know yeah some you know somebody was clever i guess i give them that you know <laughs> Uh, speaking of clever, this guy right here was actually pretty clever. Uh, a man tried to slither past U.S. border <laughs> agents in California. The man was driving a truck when he arrived at the San Usador border, crossing with Mexico on the 25th, and was pulled out for additional inspection. U.S. Customs and Border Protection said in a statement, Agents found 52 live reptiles tied in small bags, which were concealed in the man's jacket, pants, <laughs> pockets, and groin area. Statement said nine snakes and 43 horned lizards were seized. Some of the species are considered endangered, authorities said. Quote, smugglers will try every possible way to get their products, or in this case, live reptiles across the border, said 
Sydney Icky, Customs and Border Protection Director of Field Operations in San Diego, also adding, in this occasion, the smuggler attempted to deceive CBP officers in order to bring these animals into the U.S. without taking care for the health and safety of the animals. The man, a 30-year-old U.S. citizen, was arrested. You know, I, whenever I saw this, I was like, you know, how do you hide 52 reptiles on your person like that? It's like, you know, you got some in your jacket pocket, your pants pocket, your boxers, your butt cheeks. It's like, you know, where are you putting all these things? I, exactly. I mean, that's my question. I would have loved to have seen him, like, with it all in his pants pockets and, you know, it's just, just wild stuff, man. I don't... People are, are crazy, and they're they're right. I mean, smugglers will try to do everything possible. Didn't we see last? Was that last episode the fifty two like pounds of meth that was found amongst onions? I mean, like, <laughs> that's they'll, right. They'll do anything to try to smuggle it in, including putting reptiles on your person. Um, would have sucked for him though had one of those snakes got out and bit him. <laughs> you know, since it's I mean, in your pockets. That's what I would be thinking, but I guess that that's just not a concern when you're a smuggler. No, I guess not. You're just worried about getting across the border and getting. I guess he's getting paid for it. I hope he is. <laughs> he got arrested you, for you it. You would think, and they're endangered species, so they better be worth something. It better be, man. Or otherwise, you just got arrested for just being a reptile lover, I guess. Um, but, you know, we'll move on from from that. And we're going to go, not sure, we're going to go to Paris here first and talk about Vladimir Putin, who has had his head chopped off in Paris. Not the real Vladimir Putin, but a wax figure. <laughs> so, <laughs> although there are some people who wish Putin did have his head chopped off. But the city of uh, Grevin has a wax museum and they had put the Russian president's rather youthful head out of harm's way after it was attacked by visitors and staff uh, refused to walk past it because of his invasion of Ukraine. And so they actually had to take his head and, and put it away because it was attacked and then the staff refused to walk past it. So the Putin statue still bears the scars of an attack by a fit of feminine activist in 2015 when a topless Ukrainian feminist stabbed his wax statue in the chest after he annexed Crimea. Wow. And then Putin is also, so we're going to go from Paris. Follow me here. We're going from Paris. We're going to go all the way up to Canada where Putin is also putting Canadians off their favorite food, which is poutine, which is a caloric concoction of French fries, cheese, and a mysterious brown sauce, but it is pretty popular in French-speaking Quebec. And so there's a Quebec restaurant which invented the dish called Leroy uh, Giuseppe, which is in Germanville, east of Montreal. They actually have withdrawn the word poutine from its menu, replacing it with fried fromage sauce, which is French fries, cheese, and sauce. So they're getting rid of the word poutine because it's too similar to Putin. So I guess, you know, Adrian, that's their, <laughs> I guess that's their way of protesting the war in Canada. We're going to change Putin. Take that off the menu because that's too close to Putin. God, that's, <laughs> you know, I guess. Yeah, I, I've been to Canada and I've had some uh, Putin before and it'll be a little bit of a transition when I go back to say, 
frite fromage sauce or whatever. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I mean I I mean I guess I'll, I'll be supportive though. I don't I don't like Putin either, so I don't want to endorse uh, poutine either because uh, it it does does you know rem, rem, remind you of a little bit of Putin. So you know. I, it's just so interesting to see all of this kind of stuff happening. I, I, I imagine uh, Putin is wasn't thinking that him invading Ukraine would get you know, uh, Putin kicked out you know out of Canada. You know, <laughs> probably didn't think about that one. Probably not. Not amongst the sanctions he thought he would get. I guess <laughs> <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Uh, here's an interesting, I guess, sanction. I guess you could kind of say that uh, a man who constructed Britain's best man cave in his back garden could end up spending time behind bars after a deadline to get rid of it expired today. 69-year-old Graham Weldon built the huge extension outside the back of his house eight years ago, and it's pretty impressive. It's got a private casino, bowling alley, cinema, squash courts, and a bar. But the one thing he didn't have was the required planning permission for the structure. The problem got as far as the Court of Appeals last year when Weldon bid to get a suspended prison sentence for failure to remove the structure was squashed. They also said that by March 10, 2022, so that was yesterday, he needed to demolish it or face jail time. Obviously, that deadline has now passed, and it doesn't seem as if anything is going to be done about it. Walden claims that if he hadn't laid, uh, rather, he claims that if he did need to do something about this, he'd have to lay off 40 staff, and he'd have to tear down the complex, which would financially ruin him. So, uh, interesting. You know, I was like, you know, it'd be nice to kind of have a private casino, bowling alley, bar, and all that on your house, and this seems like the city is hating on him, Damn. you know, for trying to make him get rid of all of that. He's definitely got some haters <laughs> on the city council. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like, he should just invite them all there. Maybe that's why they're trying to get it taken down because they didn't get invited. Like, I mean, it's got a casino, bowling alley, cinema. This thing has to be humongous. Maybe they're just a little salty. They didn't get a chance to do it or what? I don't know, but that's that's pretty crazy. But, I mean, hopefully they just say, you know, throw your hands up and just let them have it. I mean, he did put all this work into it. It's it's a monstrosity. It's it's the best man cave in Britain. Why would you want to tear it down? <laughs> uh, hey, I mean, if it's all about those permits, you know. Got to follow, yeah, the proper, I guess. You know, follow the proper uh, uh, course of action. I guess so. We'll see. Maybe that's the story we can check on to see <laughs> uh, see how that turns out. Uh, but we'll move on from there to go to New York City. Um, and so this story is about a New York City man who had to be rescued twice in two days while hiking in Arizona. So they were this New York City man... Uh, needed to be rescued twice in consecutive days. And he was hiking in a northern Arizona mountain range. And he's ur- urging the rest of us to pay more attention to the weather than he did. So the 28-year-old Brooklyn man first called police. He called 911 on Wednesday at about 7 p.m. to say he got lost while hiking on Humphreys Trail 
in the San Francisco Peaks, which is which overlooks Flagstaff, Arizona. So during this first rescue, tracked vehicles from the ski resort that travel on snow drove uh, drove Vastoff off the mountain and he declined medical attention. So they came up to the mountain, got him, took him back down and he declined medical attention. But at 5 p.m. the very next day, he called 911 again to say he needed help after injuring himself in a fall near a ridge on Humphreys Trail. So an Arizona Department of Public Safety rescue helicopter was sent to pick him up and another hiker who had stopped to help him. So they all came back and he went on to say online, uh, the hiker went on to say, warning, unless you are an experienced alpine mountaineer, do not attempt Humphreys Peak in the winter. There is so much snow that is difficult to follow the trail and very easy to fall off of it. Moreover, the wind is absolutely brutal, Phil Philip Vasto said in an online post. And and I would just want to add to this, Adrian, they also gave him like this training and education on hiking in Arizona. So basically telling him, you don't know what the hell you're doing. Why are you up here hiking in the middle of winter unprepared? Um and so I think the other hiker even said he was ill, ill, you know, ill prepared for the winter, you know, coming from New York City. He obviously he didn't properly plan this one out. So if you plan on going hiking up a mountain, check the weather and take proper uh, equipment and, you know, things that you need. And don't don't be like this guy. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, don't don't just try to cross off a bucket list item and not actually be prepared to do it, you know. Right. You know, this <laughs> I'm sure some people will probably have a bucket list item to um uh get off at work. Uh I'm sure that's probably something that people probably have said they wanted to do. I, I'm I'm sure somebody have said it maybe, but this is company that I saw where they're actually encouraging their employees to actually do just that, get off at work. Uh, an open-minded company is offering its employees the opportunity to masturbate during work hours, and they've even ordered custom-built wank pods, uh, this is what the article says, uh, to help them out. The unusual uh, work pods, excuse me, the unusual work perk has been introduced by StripChat, an, an adult website and social network with 200 employees. Located within the branch's Cypress office, the four high-tech pods, which will be knitted with masturbatory. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen that word. I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that either. Whenever I read it, I just, like, I don't, it's just so weird just even saying it, but, uh, <laughs> Uh, accessories for the ultimate VR experience, complete with uh, Oculus Quest VR headset and 4K LED screen to watch X-rated films. After their construction is complete, the custom pods will appear as large black spheres with the chair inside so the user can sit back and relax. In addition, the pods will house lotion, lube, and, of course, tissues. Lucky employees will get to enjoy a 30-minute break during work hours. As the company said, it aims to provide current and attractive new employees with a safe, comfortable space to rub one out. StripChat is also offering other companies the opportunity to lease out its pods for up to $50,000 for six months, including adding a VIP subscription to its platform. You know, 
uh, I thought what better way to end our quick hits than to talk about, you know, somebody that's getting off, I guess. That's, you know, that's a way to end things. So, <laughs> There's a lot of way to end things. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I can say I don't. I don't believe I would need, need to utilize these <laughs> masturbatory accessories while I'm at work. You know, <laughs> I think I think the only ma- oh my god, um, I know, I just think I'm yeah. like you know, like I'm I'm sure hormones and and moods are high sometimes at work. I'm I'm, I'm I've seen somebody at work that I've been into before, but I'm never like just thinking like I just like got a release like while I'm at work or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's yeah. And then what's hilarious is that they're offering $50,000 to other companies to lease the pods. And then I also give them a VIP subscription to the platform. I mean, it's maybe I it's mean, just rough over in Cyprus. I don't know. Maybe it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's one of those things I could see like, like Amazon paying $50,000 to use these pods, you know, Amazon or Google, cause they're always trying to create, you know, a great environment for their employees. So, um, I could see them being proactive and trying to bring some pods, you know, over to the, you know, the Google office. I, <laughs> just, I don't, I don't think I'd use Eliza, but, you know, hey, I just wonder can they innovation. get like uh, the um, um, the accessories? Can they get them like branded? You know, can you get like lube with your logo on it or whatever? Or do you just <laughs> company brand? Oh, uh, yeah, <laughs> company branded uh, tissues and everything. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, you might as well, like, <laughs> you know. Oh, this is terrible. That, that way you know, you know who's sponsoring this, you know, who's sponsoring your yeah. pleasure. That's true. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, I w- yeah. <laughs> All for innovation. <laughs> Gotta love it. Masturbatory accessories. That's a first. That's right. For the Black we need to, I wish we could work that in more episodes, but this is probably the only time you will hear that, listeners. Yeah. I mean, I thought Masturbate, the only masturbatory accessory you really needed was lotion. That was like the very first one, I guess. I don't know. I mean, you know, they got the VR tissues and, you know, they got the VR. It's like, hey, you know, you got the whole nine yards there. You don't need to go nowhere. I don't even need to talk to nobody. Just head straight to the pie. <laughs> it's like masturbation <laughs> in the metaverse. <laughs> Hey, I'm telling you, you know, you're going to have people who come to work just to use the pod. <laughs> Probably be to work every day on time. <laughs> Get it before anybody else gets in there. <laughs> oh, this is horrible. All right. Okay, listeners, we'll go ahead and wrap up our quick hits here we hope you have enjoyed it as we always do and we're gonna go ahead and take our last break and when we come back we're gonna wrap up the episode and uh, get you out of here so stick with us we're gonna be right back thank you for listening to the black agenda podcast 
We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share, and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG, and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back, listeners. So, as we always like to do, we're going to give you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the show. So, first up, you can look forward to hearing me and Adrian again back here at the Black Agenda Podcast on Tuesday, March 15th. That is going to be our next regular episode that's coming up. So, make sure you tune in for that one. It's going to be another great episode with another great guest. So, make sure you tune in on Tuesday, March 15th for another great episode. Then after that, coming up next Saturday, March 19th, we'll be right back here with you for weekly roundup number nine. And again, this is our chance to give you some news, some breaking news, some humor, you name it. We're going to talk about it, as you can see, as evidenced by our quick hits. No topic is off limits here at the Black Agenda. So make sure you tune in next Tuesday, next Saturday for weekly roundup number nine. And then you'll hear us again coming up this Tuesday, March 15th. For another regular episode of the show. So we got some great things coming. So make sure you tune in next week. So before we go, we of course, we always like to let you know you can help us out by listening, downloading, and sharing the podcast. But there are some other ways that you can get involved and help us out. And Adrian is going to let you know how you can help us. Yes, listeners, we are ready. We are locked and loaded, geared up for your donations. All you got to do is go to our website and start donating to us. But like I always try to do anytime we get down to this point of the episode is give you a why as if you haven't figured out the why already. Devin and I, we're trying to do something here. Um, We're thinking big here. We're thinking beyond just podcasting. We're thinking beyond just uh, doing interviews with experts to try to advance policy. Um, We're thinking about actually doing uh, some of the work that we talk about with these different leaders and organizations and in our news segments. Um, We want to be, you know, know, we want to have a seat at the table. You know, we want to be in the room making these decisions happen. And we can't do that without you, without your support, uh, without your dollars and your cents. So like I said, go to our website. It's blackagendapie.com. Or as you're listening right now, just scroll down in the timestamps and click the donate tab from there. When you click on either of those buttons, it's going to take you to our patron page where you'll be able to sign up and give a monthly contribution. When you give to the Black Agenda podcast, you actually get something back as well. So look on our patron page and see all the different things that we have to give to our monthly patrons. Like I said, go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Or scroll down in the timestamps, click the donate tab from there and start giving. The other thing we like to do is mention a charity of the month. And for the month of March, we've been talking about the Common Ground Foundation. The Common Ground Foundation empowers and uplifts youth from high potential communities to become future leaders. It was founded by entertainer Common and his mom. Common Ground Foundation provides a holistic curriculum that encourages youth to achieve academic excellence while inspiring them to realize their dreams and create an impact in their world. This is one of their main slogans. They come in as dreamers, but emerge as dreamers and believers. So really, really uh, uh, interesting organization 
a lot of programs focusing on so many different things like civic engagement, health technology, leadership. So just highlighting them for the month of March. Go check them out. But if you're going to give, make sure you give to us first. And then, you know, if you got a little extra, uh, give to us again. And then, you know, I'm just, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> you're right. You're right. No, but make sure you... Help out both uh, us and the Common Ground Foundation. You know, if you want to give to us twice and then once to them, you know, if you have some extra. That's right. You know, we understand <laughs> gas prices are high. Money may not stretch as far. So we totally understand. You know, and hey, since <laughs> gas is so high, why not give to us and just stay at home and listen to us, you know? Yeah. <laughs> there you go. See? Solving the world's problems. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll go ahead and wrap it up here before we go. Also, we want to remind you that you can keep up with us on social media. So make sure you are following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at black agenda pod. Um, also you can follow, follow us on YouTube and new this season. We have news articles that you can read that are coming from the team here at the black agenda podcast. So if you go, to blackagendapod.com forward slash news, you'll find plenty of articles written by our very talented intern team here who are doing a great job of keeping you informed of what's happening in the world around you, but also giving you their opinion on some of the biggest topics in the country. So make sure you go to blackagendapod.com forward slash news and read up on what's happening in the world, but also give some feedback. There's some ways for you to comment, and let us know what you think, what you don't like, what you would like to see more of. Um, we have some interns this season, and they're doing a, a great, great job. So make sure you check out their work at blackagendapod.com forward slash news. And so for me and Adrian, this has been another great edition of the Weekly Roundup. And so this is Weekly Roundup number eight. So we'll be back with you on Tuesday, March 15th for our, our next regular episode. And then we'll be, we'll be back next Saturday, March 19th for weekly roundup number nine. So make sure you tune in on both of those days to hear me and Adrian. So until then, we thank you for listening and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>